0: Welcome to the Erasing Shame podcast, season one. This podcast is about erasing shame through honest talk for healthy living, emotionally, relationally, mentally, and personally. Visit our website at erasingshame.com for links to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe on iTunes and YouTube. Now, let's have an honest talk for healthy living. Erasing Shame, Honest Talk for Healthy Living. I'm your host today, Eunice Lee. Uh, my co-host DJ Chuang is on tech today, so he's um, he's listening. And um, today we're going to talk about how com- how to-, to have a faith community that avoids um, shame. Um, so last week we talked to Dr. Martin Shah about anxiety and OCD and what that looks like to expose and uh, um, expose it, ourselves to it in order to erase it. And now we're gonna be talking, uh, we have the honor of talking to Dr. Liz Lin about what this looks like to have a faith community that is vulnerable, that um, that can avoid shame. Um, so thank you so much for coming today, Liz. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. Um, so just to introduce you, um, for our listeners who don't know, Liz is a writer and educator on race and culture. She's the co-founder of the Progressive Asian American Christians um, and a senior fellow at the New Begin House of Studies in San Francisco. She has a PhD in clinical psychology and a master's degree in psychology and theology from Fuller Theological Seminary, where she taught for several years. She lived in she lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her husband and her son. And so, Liz, you and I actually met. I don't know if you will know this, but we met when you were my professor at mm-hmm. Fuller, um, mm-hmm. which was so cool. We it turned out we had. Uh, mutual friends, uh, too. But it was just really cool to see um, what you've done. You were assessments professor, you made the time really fun. You would show us these bud- BuzzFeed videos um, of <laughs> cute animals to <laughs> keep us from stressing out. Um, but it's really cool to see how your career has kind of taken shape and, and uh, grown. And so um, I was wondering if you could describe a little bit about what you do professionally, um, your passions, your specialties, and things like that.
1: Sure, yeah. Um, I do a real hodgepodge of things. I am no longer practicing as a therapist. Um, so instead, I spend my time writing largely about race and culture and the intersections of those with faith a lot of the time. Um, I also teach through the Begin House of Studies, like you said earlier. Um, I s- spend a lot of time co-running this organization you mentioned called Progressive Asian American Christians which I started with my partner Lydia Shu, and I spend a good amount of time chasing my toddler. So mm-hmm. life is just this constant, it's a constant changing of hats right it now. Sounds
0: full. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you teach actually?
1: Um, I teach I co-teach a class on the urban church specifically about how race and racism have shaped the landscape of American cities. So everyone's favorite, most uplifting part. But I think it's really important for pastors and training to recognize that, you know, nothing in nothing in a city is an accident. And much of how cities are laid out and who lives where is directly the impact of race and racism and racist policy.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and you're a writer too, so you've written for the Salt Collective and you have your own blog. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's actually, I remember one of the the pieces that you wrote a while ago about, um, Asian American Christians and dating about, Mm -hmm. um, the I kiss date goodbye movement really resonated Mm -hmm. with me.
1: And Mm -hmm. I didn't,
0: I, I would love to hear more about your background. I'm from Virginia, uh-huh. I grew up in a specific church culture that was uh-huh. very anti-dating and what yeah. you, everything that you talked about really just spoke to me even though we we weren't at the same church we weren't even in the same part of the country. Yeah. Um, so it's so cool that you're able to kind of pull from that experience. Oh,
1: thank you. It's really interesting to me how similar so many Asian and Asian American churches are across the country like regardless of denomination, regardless of geogra- like geography even regardless of ethnicity, because you and I are different ethnicities, but like Mm -hmm. there's still so many common threads in our experiences and um, so yeah, in some ways, I feel like our Asian child of immigrant experiences kind of like take precedent over all those other factors, right? Um, But yeah, I grew up in the Midwest. I was uh, one of very few Asian Americans in my Detroit suburban community. Mm -hmm. Um, I did not grow up in the church um my parents were and still are mostly non-religious. Um but you know they are immigrants from Taiwan. They came here for graduate school and became professors so like education was kind of the religion that we grew up with in my house. Mm-hmm. Um and Yeah, I mean, like many immigrant parents, like I love my parents very dearly and I don't fault them for this, but like shame was a pretty big component in their parenting. It's very effective in the short term, Mm -hmm. uh, which is something I think about a lot now that I'm raising a child of my own. Um, So that was happening inside my house. Outside of my house, I'm like one of very few Asian-Americans. So. The messages are not as direct, but I'm also very ashamed of the fact that I'm Asian American. So I feel like shame was like a very formative part of my childhood. Um, And it wasn't until I was 15, um, a friend, my one Asian friend invited me to go to her church, her Taiwanese immigrant church, Mm -hmm. um, that I found myself in a community of other Asian Americans and also in a faith community. So like those two things have always been very closely intertwined for me. and that is where a lot of the shame around being Asian American really started to fall away, because that was the first time that I was in a community where my family and my life experiences and my experiences of the world were normal and not different from all of my peers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that community itself was amazing and incredibly affirming of me, but. I was this like little overachiever who like wanted to like throw herself into evangelical Christianity and everything that I learned about evangelicalism outside of my particular church was also kind of shame-based. You know what I mean? In terms of like, God will love you more if you behave this way, God will love you less. God really doesn't like it when you do this. Mm -hmm. Um, So in some ways, like there was kind of this revolving door of, Shaming things if that makes sense. It was yeah. no longer about my race But it was about like this God who was like very judging of me mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. um, And that kind of persisted throughout my um, Yeah, I, I was in Asian American communities Christian communities through college and it really wasn't until I got to seminary that 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 I started to unpack that a little bit mm-hmm.
0: That's so interesting, it's how, interesting how, you're how you're describing um, two different, different types of shame. shame. Mm-hmm. One is the shame of being other or being different um, Mm -hmm. as an American, you know, I'm guessing a pretty white or non-Asian town. And then also the the shame that was kind of infiltrated into your faith once you were able to engage in a community that um, you didn't have to be ashamed of your ethnicity anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. But then there was another layer of shame in terms of spirituality. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, and so I'm, I'm just curious, the working definition that we've been kind of going off of with this podcast is um, kind of off of what Brene Brown was talking about, which is that guilt is is something that you did wrong, whereas shame is a feeling that you are wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, or Guilt is I made a mistake and shame is I am the mistake. Mm-hmm. And then also in in um, DJ and mine, as we've talked about this experience of being Asian American, because it's such a collective collectivist culture sometimes shame is also everybody in the community or the majority of the community also agrees
1: that Mm -hmm. you are a
0: mistake or you did wrong or you are wrong and so I'm curious for you if there's anything that you would add or change to that definition or if you have one of your own. Um, no, that's actually perfectly stated. I didn't realize that
1: it was Brene Brown's, but like when I talk about shame and specifically the differences between guilt and shame, that's exactly the distinction that I make. I really love what you said, what you how you and DJ kind of added that collective component on top of it because it kind of you feel that the additional weight of carrying like a, a whole community's burdens mm-hmm. on top of you. And I think that the interesting thing about Asian American Christian communities that you can add on top of that, then like the weight of like God on top of that, God is also not super pleased with you as well. And that adds mm-hmm. a completely new dimension,
0: I think. to, mm-hmm. to shaming. Yeah, it's like a, a, a shaming that you can't speak against because Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's yeah. coming from like the ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Um, So tell me about this movement um, that you started, you and Lydia. Um, It's been really cool to see it kind of blossom. I think it was the piece that you wrote that ended up in Huffington Post that kind of um, started it. But tell me a little bit about Progressive Asian American Christians, Pac. It was kind of a beautiful accident
1: in many ways. Like I had really been struggling for ever since I started seminary with this Um, the sense that I no longer fit in Asian American communities anymore because even though they were such a formative place for me in high school and college, once I got to seminary and started thinking and talking a lot more about things like politics and racism and feminism and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, things like, you know, I I was studying to be a therapist and sitting with people and their suffering and like needing some kind of language or theology that could have room for the things I was experiencing with my clients. I just wasn't finding any of those things in Asian-American communities, at least mm-hmm. the ones that I was visiting at the time in that particular place. Um, and as I started to become more progressive in terms of my theology and in terms of my politics, like it just became harder and harder for me to be in Asian-American Christian spaces because those places, for various reasons, tend to be more conservative theologically and politically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know as i found myself in more progressive communities those spaces were often entirely white or overwhelmingly white yeah. and they often did not have space or language to talk about race or my mm-hmm. asian americanness or the things mm-hmm. that i was passionate about so i didn't i was not really able to articulate this until a conversation with a, i was having with a friend a year or two maybe like a year and change ago And as soon as I was able to articulate this, that being a progressive Asian American Christian often means having to choose between a community that matches your racial and cultural experiences Mm -hmm. or a community that matches your theology and your values. Like that was just like suddenly I had language for the experiences that I've been having for the last decade. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to write about it and then as I was writing about it I met this pastor in San Francisco named Lydia Mm -hmm. and Um, when we hung out for the first time, I was, you know, she's also a progressive Asian American Christian woman, very exciting to meet another one. Um, and I was telling her about this piece that I was writing and it was going to call it the loneliness of the progressive Asian American Christian. And she was like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's so funny. I just started this Facebook group called progressive Asian American Christians, but like it's brand new. No (laughs) one's in it yet. And I was like, that's crazy. Like, that's really crazy. Like just even like the specific wording of it and all and so when I posted the piece, I asked her if I could like link the group at the end. You know, we didn't know what it was, but just like as if it's like if you resonated with this, like here's a space and we'll mm-hmm. just kind of see what happens. And people started joining like as soon as the piece went up and then, you know, more and more and more people. And then when Huffington Post picked up the piece like that, I think brought another brought more visibility to the group and so you know like 300 people showed up on the first day and now we have like 5,500 people I would say like all over the country and the world and it wasn't just like the magnitude of people that really struck us but like people came in really eager to like Mm -hmm. connect and to start talking and sharing their stories to start meeting in person to start doing something. Um, I think the fact that this group, like the, the piece went up like maybe a month and a half after the last election. I think a lot of Asian American Christian mm-hmm. progressives were feeling very, um, I don't know, hot and bothered, I guess, about the political situation and wanting to do something and wanting to connect and wanting to find yeah. like-minded people. So I think that brought its own energy and momentum to the group that we've been writing for the last year
0: and four or five months. Yeah, I can't believe it's only been that short of a time. It feels like it's it's been longer. Yeah.
1: I mean, we we've done a lot in the time that we've had because like people have just been so excited and energized to Mm -hmm. do stuff. So that's been
0: it's been a a gift to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, And so and I'm sure you've read a lot of stories. You've connected and heard stories um, from that. I actually was. On this the page a while ago, and someone wrote a story about growing up in a church that was very shame based. Mm. And I looked at her profile, and I actually grew up with her. Mm. Um, Didn't realize it until I learned kind of about being bullied and things like that. And I had no idea. So it's it's interesting to see how like it's creating a space where people can finally dialogue. Mm. Um, So I'm curious for you if there's like have there been stories that have stuck out to you or, or narratives or how have you seen, um, particularly in shame dynamics in faith-based communities?
1: Yeah, the stories that stand out to me are lar- like often in the vein of what you're describing or it's people who have been really burned by traditional Asian or white or what have you churches and who have never been given the opportunity to process Mm -hmm. Um, or had spaces where they could process that and spaces where they could be accepted as their whole selves, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And the reasons for the disconnect between themselves and their home churches, it really varies, right? Like sometimes it's like, it's because they're gay or it's because, you know, they are, uh, they were an outspoken woman or um, because, you know, they, they saw things differently in terms of justice. But like, I think the thing that has been really, striking for me is just the fact that like one that people have it seems like a space where they can talk about these things openly but also that they seem to have the space where they can be their whole selves mm-hmm. where they can bring every part of themselves and they don't have to turn on the volume or like keep certain mm-hmm. things secret um that's really been a gift that like all the parts of themselves can be seen and can be brought to light and like integrated into a whole like that's been the most i think impactful especially when Parts, you know, when certain parts of those identities were cloaked in shame before and had to be hidden. So mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. been like, the, the, those are the stories that really stand out to me the most.
0: Yeah, I really like the idea of kind of the whole self finally being able to be seen. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I know that there are Asian-Americans that have experiences where they aren't able to speak out or their life is so compartmentalized mm-hmm. because they have to save face. Yeah, and so this whole yeah. integrated person coming forward. I mean that that has to feel so freeing. That has to feel um, kind of liberating. Yeah, absolutely,
1: absolutely. And I forgot to mention too, like I think mental health is another big thing too. Like people who felt a disconnect between them and their communities because they were depressed or because they were anxious, Mm and um, you know, there just not being space for that in the communities that they grew up in, and like being able to bring that and to not be shamed for it, and to be able to be open and to be able to talk about it with people who are validating of that, I think that's another that's another component that's very meaningful to me, I think, especially given my background,
0: so. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Well, I'm curious, like, even as an Asian American, because I've, I've heard kind of the trend is that, you know, immigrant parents will go to um, church or they'll go to, you know, that's where kind of all of the other immigrant parents congregate, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. a way to kind of preserve some of their home. Mm-hmm. So for example, the church I went to, um, some might say it was more conservative in the churches in Korea because most of the people in Virginia at the time immigrated in the seventies and eighties and Mm -hmm. wanted to preserve some of that culture. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, well, first of all, I'm sure that even, um, religious or not, I'm sure that a lot of Asian Americans had to go to church at some point. Yes. That's, that's my, that's my feeling. I don't know if that's true. I mean, I I don't know what you think. Sounds like you agree with that. Um, but also like, um, What do you think it might be about the culture that lends itself to be more conservative? Those are such good questions. Um,
1: First, I do agree with you that even the non-religious in the states find themselves at church oftentimes because like churches become community centers for immigrants, right? And mm-hmm. I think it's especially true in Korean communities where it's like 71% of Koreans in America are Christian. That's an mm-hmm. insane number. And if you're part of that 29% that isn't, you might go anyway because that's where all the other Koreans are, right? <laughs> so that makes perfect sense to me. Um, in terms of the factors that make these churches often more conservative than their home cultures, or, or like you know, like in Korea, as you said, or you know, even more conservative than white evangelical churches. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of factors. I think that the one that you pointed out is great. And Lydia speaks very articulately about this, that like, you know, Korea has evolved so much in the Mm -hmm. last 30 to 40 years, right? But, you know, your folks left in your, a lot of folks in your community left, and then they came here where it's like there's kind of this disconnect between them and broader society, in part because of things like language and culture. But in part, I think there's like a bit of suspicion around American culture in general, Mm -hmm. like, oh, they're Mm -hmm. so liberal, their kids are so disrespectful, Mm -hmm. they dress so provocatively. So they are not being pushed forward by the tides of change in Korea because they're not there and they're not being pushed forward by the times of change in America because they've kind of built this wall against it. So mm-hmm. as a result they be, kind of become these museums in a way of like values mm-hmm. from the time from the year they left essentially. I like that. That's Ken Fong's term so I have to come oh, okay. for that. But I also <laughs> you know I mean the same thing was true for my parents coming from Taiwan in 1972. Like they believe their values reflect Taiwan in 1972. They do mm-hmm. not reflect Taiwan now, and they don't really reflect America now, even though my parents, I think, are more progressive than the average Asian immigrant. Um, so that's one thing. But I also think, you know, there's, there's something about being an immigrant, like, you just want so desperately to be accepted, right? And mm-hmm. to, to not make waves and just to to be safe and to be and to not be sent back and so i feel like that also lends itself to this mentality of like playing very much by the rules like don't make waves don't rock the boat just work hard and put your head down and don't do anything provocative mm-hmm. and then they like then they'll they'll be okay with us right and we won't have to leave so i think that also lends itself a, another layer of kind of conservatism to asian american christian communities um i think on top of that asian american christian communities very much look to white evangelical communities for cues on how to vote, on how to understand what's happening in the world. I think that there's a bit of deference in terms of like, they've been here longer, they must know how things work. Mm-hmm. Um, and Not like- minority thing. Yeah, and also like in terms of all of the resources that are available to them, all the curriculum, all the books, all the VBS material, they're all written by white evangelicals, right? Mm-hmm. So, um I think that because of that, because of that influence, Asian American churches often kind of inherit the conservatism of white evangelical churches, whether or not they're intending to, whether or not they're Mm -hmm. intending to. And then you just have like the kind of more traditional social mores that Asian cultures often have in terms of like how you dress, how you talk to elders, et cetera, et cetera. So I think for all of those reasons, like, Asian-American Christian communities are often more conservative than their mm-hmm. counterparts in their home countries, and also to then white evangelical communities in America.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm curious for you um, as we're talking about just some of the values that our parents brought over. I mean, are there values that you see that you don't wanna pass along to say, for example, your kids or to the next generation of Asian-Americans? Oh, Eunice, that's like the question of my life right now.
1: Um, I think a really big one is shame as a primary motivator. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not just saying that because this is a podcast largely about shame. But like, as I said before, it was a really big part of my upbringing. I think it's a very big part of a lot of Asian, um, especially child of immigrant upbringings, Mm -hmm. um, because it's very effective. And it's how our parents were raised, you know, and um, again, I don't fault my parents for this because they're a product of their culture and their, their time. But um, Mm -hmm. that's not really the, I don't want to instill that in my kid. Like I don't want my kids to feel like they're loved conditionally based on how well they perform Mm -hmm. um, or like on what career they choose or how they score on any exam. Um, And I want, them to accept mistakes as a part of life and a part of learning and growth and not like these these um horrible aberrations that bring shame on our family mm-hmm. um so yeah i think those are really big ones yeah. though that is, that is the really big one i would say yeah. there's there, there are elements that i certainly want to to that i certainly want to pass on in terms of like a work ethic and a respect for elders and all that, but like the shame piece is really, um, that's the one that I would really like to do differently. And that's hard, right? Because it requires a lot of self-awareness, a lot of awareness into how you were parented and some awareness of different ways of parenting which a lot mm-hmm. of us don't really have, right? It's like, yeah. if all we have is the model that we were given, like, how are we supposed to do anything differently, right? And so it requires, I think, a lot of intentionality on our parts to be aware of how mm-hmm. we were raised and aware of how we might do things differently, mm-hmm. um, ways that often are a lot harder and take a lot more time and patience
0: than just, you know, shame. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I, I feel like that's the um, tension that we have to hold is, as uh, children of immigrants is that we have to do the extra work mm-hmm. because we have more resources yeah. than the generations before Generation us, And so it's just really tough to either continue to shame or kind of do the opposite, um, which might not work either. Yeah. Just the direct opposite.
1: So. Yeah. I love how you put that though. It's like, we, we have more resources it's almost like a, in, in some ways, it's like a, it's like an extension of like, when you know better, you have to do better. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is a part of it. But also, it's like, yeah, we, we don't, or at least for me, as a child of immigrants, I do not have the same stresses of survival that my parents had, I have mm-hmm. the luxury of not having that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I then have a responsibility to do better, because I, I can't write it off. I can't just like excuse my behavior by being like I was an immigrant. I was trying to survive. I, that's mm-hmm. not that's not the case, you know. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. So and that same idea. And I'm wondering because progressive Asian American Christians is so much about justice and about speaking out and being, you know, to use the word that you used before, provocative and and um, kind of standing out in the crowd. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm wondering for for what you're trying to do here with PAC or progressive Asian American Christians if that's kind of. Um, kind of collecting people that have more resources that can finally speak out, maybe when the generations before couldn't. Um, I'm curious if there's a connection there.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there absolutely is. I think there absolutely is a connection. Um, like in some ways, our parents did not have the lu- I don't want to excuse all of their behavior, but and all of their attitudes. But in some ways, it's like they don't have the luxury of say advocating for the marginalized because in so many ways they are marginalized and they're just trying Mm -hmm. to survive right and so while there are all there are all kinds of you know things in immigrant communities that again that i don't want to excuse or condone like i i don't expect an immigrant to have a lot of bandwidth to be able to advocate for other communities for example right but then you know for me as a second generation person like I do have the bandwidth. You know. I don't have the same daily survival struggles. Don't get me wrong, of course, I experience racism on multiple mm-hmm. levels, but like mm-hmm. I don't have the same level of survival stress that my parents have. I do have a bit of a safety net because my parents were fortunate enough to like make it here, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and with that I think comes this added responsibility to do justice and to advocate not only for our own community but also for other communities that are oppressed and marginalized. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely think that there is something to, to what you said about like you know us as like children of immigrants and yeah.
0: you know, being progressive and caring about justice. Yeah, um, and that's that's part of I mean the experiences. Some of the experiences that people are sharing on on the um, the Facebook group are also experiences of racism towards. Asian Americans and microaggressions Mm -hmm. and things like that. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, um, you know, because you, this kind of all started or around the same time as the election. And I'm Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you saw more Asian Americans take a larger stand on helping the marginalized since, since the election.
1: I think absolutely. I think the election was very galvanizing for folks and I don't doubt that we would have, I think that we still would have had a lot of people in the group, even if Donald Trump weren't president, Mm -hmm. but, I think the fact that he is like made a lot of people like especially evangelicals of color, very, very jaded about their communities, Um, whether they were part of big white churches where like, you know, the number everyone throws around 80 percent of white evangelicals voted for Trump or they were part of Asian communities where people could justify voting for Trump because of his, you know, promise to elect a conservative Supreme Court judge or his stance on abortion or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that people came, people were very jaded and I think felt a very big wedge in their, between themselves and their in real life communities. Mm-hmm. And that I think um, really motivated a lot of folks to find community where they could find it. And, mm-hmm. you know,
0: for many of them that happened to be in this online community. Yeah. That's great. And, and uh, like, and we've talked about this before in our podcast, but kind of what we're seeing is the opposite or to erase shame, it comes in community. And mm-hmm. um, like, Ed, um, so for you and like, I guess this is a two part question. What does it look like for Asian American Christianity no, to not be shame based? Mm-hmm. And how have you seen this community um, erase shame in some of the, um, some of its members in this community?
1: Yeah. Gosh, I, I really love how you put that because I think it's so true. Like so much of erasing shame is shedding light on it, on whatever it is, whatever the source of shame is Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: other people seeing it and still accepting you. Right. Mm -hmm. I think I actually don't know how possible it is to erase shame in the absence of community. So that is really like profound. Um, I love how you articulated that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think, I feel like this community, again, has been a place where people can bring their whole selves, including pieces of themselves that before they had to hide in various contexts for whatever reason, because it was seen as sinful or seen as, you know, undesirable for some reason, Mm -hmm. where they can bring these things and they can still be affirmed for who they are. And they can hear people affirm that God still loves them for their whole selves Mm -hmm. Um, and that God sees them as good and not damaged and broken and terrible, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that is one way in which this community is working to erase some of the shame. And I think, um, I also think that this community is doing, is also rewriting some folks theology. And I I don't want to get too heady here, but like, I feel like a lot of us grew up in communities where the starting point was you are bad and you needed to be saved. And that's where Jesus comes in. Right. Mm -hmm. And some of this is because, you know, a lot of our communities are very reformed in their theology. Um, I also think that, you know, this kind of theology, again, dovetails well with a lot of the shame that kind of pervades our cultures to begin with. So Mm -hmm. those things kind of, you know, hand in hand a lot of times Um, but I think kind of like changing the starting point to where like the starting point is actually that God created us good like when you look in the Genesis account you know God is making everything and it's good that's the starting point is that we're inherently good we're not inherently Mm -hmm. bad I think that is also um, changing the way that people think about themselves and I don't know that, I don't know how explicit, again, I don't know how explicitly any of this theological stuff is happening in the group, but I do think that like this community has kind of a different theological starting point than a lot of Asian American Christian communities. And that I think mm-hmm. is healing in its own way to realize that like God actually, when he looks at, or when God looks at us, God sees good, not like terrible, sin, awful. That's mm-hmm. part of the picture, sure, but it's not the starting point.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: I think that is also, um that can be really transformative for people too,
0: yeah, yeah, for sure, and I think that marries so well with um mental health too in that mm-hmm. um, I was just chatting with someone the other day who has a um, you know compulsive disorder, and they were sharing that the response they've gotten in um, their community is just just stop, why don't you just stop doing that sure yeah, and um that's so different than how you know how God sees us and how um the theology of what uh, progressive Asian Americans bring Christians bring Mm. is um, kind of so counter to that. And I'm wondering a therapist, a therapist, if you you could share a little bit about that mental health piece in PAC, like how has that mental health been a value for for progressive Asian American Christians? How has that been um, part of the equation as well? Um, That's a really good question. I think
1: there is a large like mental health practitioner contingent in pack I'm sure you've noticed. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's an accident at all. Um I and I feel like, you know, gosh, sorry, I have like eight different thoughts and I'm trying to think about which one to start with. Um
0: share them. All. Do, Go ahead.
1: <laughs> in in no particular order. Yeah. I think part of the part of it is like when you are a therapist, it just becomes very difficult to maintain like black and white theologies. Like sitting with people in their pain mm-hmm. and suffering, I think really does a lot to, at least for me, um, it made me realize that like my black and white theology was not it, it. It it there was no room for what I was actually seeing in the lives of my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that I don't think it's an accident that a lot of Asian American therapists end up with more progressive theology than maybe they started with when they leave grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think too that like, sorry, this is gonna be like a completely unrelated point, but I no, I, I feel can't. like, um, I don't know, I think just, I, I am really, there. I, I also see a really high correlation in terms of not practitioners necessarily, but like people in the community getting therapy. Like yeah. I was astounded at the conference We did this like game, but like everyone had been to a therapist, which as you Mm -hmm. know, as an Asian American practitioner is like unheard of, right? Like the numbers on Asian American mental health utilization are incredibly low. It's like 6% Mm -hmm. of Asians who need to see a therapist see one. Mm -hmm. But the fact that almost everybody there had seen one, I think that there is, um, a greater awareness of mental health issues and an acceptance of that, that it's like normal and it doesn't mean that you're Mm -hmm. broken or crazy or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm really grateful for that too. And I think that because people in the group have their own experiences with mental health practitioners, like there's just, I think a real openness to people seeing therapists and, you know, and that creates an environment where people are, feel free to share that they've had you know that they've seen a therapist or they have x or y mm-hmm. diagnoses or whatever and mm-hmm. um, again those are things that they often couldn't share in their home communities or um you know because they get the same responses that you just described like just stop right mm-hmm. or like you know they're told that it's their fault because they're not praying enough or what have you mm-hmm. when you know i think in my theology like god is a god who suffers with us and god mm-hmm. You know, I think God looks at this person you're talking with with great compassion, you know, and not judgment or shame, you know. So. Um, so, yeah, those are a few of my disparate thoughts. Yeah. But I definitely feel like having a mental health background has been a huge asset in terms of facilitating this community. And I'm just so grateful for the resources that we have because you know, we, we have tons of therapists that we can refer to people to, I guess mostly if you live in California, or New York, but um, you know, I just feel like there's like a real acceptance of that.
0: And I'm so grateful because that's not common at all in Asian and Asian American communities. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, even, even that image that, that you're describing that, uh, at the conference, conference is almost everybody acknowledging that they've had mental health services and mm-hmm. standing in the midst of other Asian Americans and being able to claim that without shame.
1: Mm-hmm. I can imagine
0: that to be really um uh really amazing. Just a yeah. really incredible feeling to look around and, and think this is this is normal. These are other human beings, these aren't all just kind of who I'm compared to or or um, projections of my insecurity. Yeah. But yeah. really That's exactly
1: right. Like I was almost in tears. Like it was like and, and the fact that you know people people claim this publicly. And I was like, this is so counter to like every narrative about Asian Americans and mental health treatment that I've ever been told. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it gave me a lot of hope actually for future generations of Asian Americans, um, you know, getting
0: the help and the support that they need. So great. Totally. Well, um, is there anything that you'd want to share to our listener, say that if they're um, struggling with feeling alone, whether it's their, in their theology or kind of in their imperfections, in their shame, what would you want them to know? I mean, I hate to
1: like, this is gonna sound really cliche and I don't mean for it to, but like i I would like them to know that God sees them and God loves them and that God, God's first impulse towards us is love and compassion and Mm -hmm. kindness. Um, And that's so counter again to the messages that a lot of us get in our faith communities.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But it's not disdain, it's not judgment, it's not why aren't you good enough or why do you keep sucking at this? Like it's just love. And we see in the person of Jesus, a God who suffers with us a God who is intimately acquainted with suffering. And that is something that is a great comfort to me in times of trial. Um, So, yeah, that is the first and foremost thing that I would want people to know. And I think the other thing I would want them to know, again, I love how you articulated this, but like, I think so much of erasing shame is about being in community. So whether that means finding people in real life, in your your day-to-day life, who you can be open and honest with this about, or if it means going to the internet. Um, The internet is often the worst, but sometimes it's the best. And like, I have been just so overwhelmed by like how people have found real community and real healing through this group, and I take no credit for that, but it just because of other people in the group who've been so welcoming. I think specifically about the, like the PAC family subgroup, like there's a subgroup that's just mm-hmm. for LGBT Asian mm-hmm. American Christians. That like, doesn't exist anywhere, right? Yeah. But like, how amazing mm-hmm. is it that there is a space like just for them, like where they can bring every part of themselves and be seen and be validated in ways that they often aren't able to by even their own families, you know? Mm-hmm. like. Um, so yeah, I would encourage them to like seek out community, whether it's in real life or mm-hmm. it's on the internet. Because mm-hmm. often, if you know, if you're very unique, sometimes you have to go to the internet to find like-minded people. So, mm-hmm. um, I think those are the two. Yeah, those are the big things. And they're uh, yeah, they're not alone.
0: You're yes. not alone. We've all not got alone. our God.
1: Loves we've them. all got our yeah, and we've mm-hmm. all got our like weird. Secret shameful or things that we've been told that we should just be ashamed of issues. And so Mm -hmm. I guess I would
0: want them to know that, too Awesome. Well, thank you. So it's been such an honor and a privilege to talk to you about this This is something that I've been kind of dreaming about dialoguing with you for a long time So it's it's awesome to be able to connect with you again about this. So thank you so much Your words mean a lot to me Eunice. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. So thank you for having me Of course, Um, and yeah, and you can um, Uh, If you have any more resources, please let us know. Um, So we have you writing on the Salt Collective, as well as the Facebook group, Progressive Asian American Christians, with Mm -hmm. what seems like a million subgroups for mental health, for family, for Los Angeles and Portland and all these different cities. Um, Mm -hmm. So get connected with Liz there. Is there any other resources you'd want to share before we end? Um those are the big ones. Yeah. We have a website where we're
1: well, we, we I will oh, share. No. We have a website um, where we are compiling like resources of various kinds, but one of them is that we have a list of therapists who identify as progressive Asian American and Christian. Um so if you're looking for a therapist who like maybe might be able to to grasp your worldview, um mm-hmm. that's a that's a helpful resource for folks. And there's also like a kind of a crowdsourced list of
0: churches where um other progressive Asian American Christians have found community. So Great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Liz. I really appreciate it. Um, And for us, if you want to connect with us, share your stories of erasing shame, you can go on our website, erasingshame.com and let us know if you have a question or comment. You can always ask us, um, send it, shoot us an email or a message. If you have follow up questions for Liz as well. Um, And you can find our links on Facebook and also our YouTube channel, um, Erasing Shame. And you can subscribe to our podcast on YouTube, um, where there's archived audios of all of the, of this, um, episode and all the other episodes that we've recorded. Um, so next week, DJ will be back and we'll be just talking about, um, more, more thoughts on racing shame and also the past few weeks with our guests, um, and how these conversations have gone. So thank you so much, Liz and, um, our listeners, and we'll see you next week. Thank you too, Eunice. Thanks. Bye.